0: Today I'm with Dr. Ned. It is a lot of fun. We covered a lot of ground, everything from medical to a new invention that he has on the exercise side and also a logistics app. I mean, this guy is an absolute genius. It's a home run. If you haven't subscribed to make sure you do, make sure you tune into this one. It's a really good one, guys. Y'all ready for news? Welcome to the Dan De Verna Podcast where we talk about business, life,
1: and how to win it both.
0: You may have saved a life today. Could have. Could it's a big
1: deal. Or it could be nothing.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully it's nothing.
1: Hopefully it's nothing, and I'm wrong. Like,
0: best case scenario,
1: it's nothing. Best case scenario, is nothing. Worst case scenario, is like, maybe six months. Wow! Because if it's in your spine, it's probably in a bunch of other places. Mm. Yeah. So
0: <clears throat> to have a job like that, like, do you feel like that's a lot of responsibility? Well, I don't think
1: it's any more. You, if you are responsible, I think you should feel responsibility no matter what you do. You know, I think that's true. I think how responsible you make yourself, maybe determine what kind of product you put out there. I mean, I've always thought. Like I talked to high school kids still, you know, once in a while. And I, I tell them that there's always a market for, for excellence. You know, if you're excellent at whatever you do, there's going to be a market for you. Yeah. it's really not a market for being mediocre. You know, you, you right. can find a bunch of mediocre people. They'll get by. They'll do fine. Sure. But if you're really excellent at your craft, you'll, you'll be, you know, people want you. They'll pay good money for you. Yeah. And not... So I I think that you just have to be excellent at what you do every day.
0: Last year, one of the neat things that Perrysburg schools did was they said they wanted each of their seniors to go to someone in their life and have them write like a letter to them, giving them guidance coming out of high school. Like, what would they do? And I, with Chloe, I wrote this. She, it was me that Chloe went to. And I wrote this whole page. And the bottom line, it said, you know, just try to do, if you just try as hard as you can every day.
1: Like, where do you go from there? Just try. That's just, all you can do. Just do that. That's I mean, you all can't, you can do. You. What I tell people, I say, you can't confuse being the best at what you do. You have to be the best that you can be in right. your craft. Yeah, I mean that's all you can ask for is do your you know to do your best. You give right. it a hundred percent. You can't give more than a hundred percent. hundred percent is yeah tough. There's yeah there's two parts to that too.
0: Like I think the other part is, um, I'd make a terrible Doctor Ned. Like I I think I can be a pretty good Dan, but I'd be a terrible Doctor Ned. You know, and so it. I think that's the thing for you to be as good as you can be and me to be as good as I can be and know that it'd be, I'd be pretty disappointed if I compared myself to you in some areas of our life. And so it's, t- you, you should, I should compare myself to yesterday's Dan, you know?
1: Well, no, I, I think you can look at other people for inspiration. Like I look at you and I see, you know, one of the things that, that, that drives me when I see you or talk to you is that you're it's not all about work i mean you you balance your your fitness with your work with your family i mean you you seem like a very balanced person which is like crap i wish i was more balanced you know i feel like i'm either too far one way or too far the other way yeah and i go back between the extremes depending mm-hmm. on on my on the day or the week or Or, or my mood, you Mm -hmm. know, but I see you every time I see you like, gosh, you know, you're so balanced and I wish I was, I wish I was that much, that balanced. I think that's funny because I don't feel that way.
0: And I also think any of us that really look, I mean, I'm not, I shouldn't even say us, anybody that looks really balanced, you're just, we just don't see their shit because we've known they've got it. You know, we're just not, they're not letting us see that part of
1: them. You know what I mean? Well, that may be true. I, I think I, I, I see what you're trying to say. But um, I, I I think that the people who are trying to be really good every day sort of knows what the other person has to put in to be really good every day. And for mm. you to be good at what you do. I like that. Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to be really good, I mean, you're going to notice when people are really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. I think if you're mediocre, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's another person who does whatever you know yeah sure and and, and um uh so I, I think if we rec- I think one's ability to recognize other people's greatness um I think there's a lot of envy there not jealousy yeah but there's envy like wow well, I, I wish I was more like them. yeah I want to be like you that's
0: me so I want to be like Dr. Ned <laughs> I be so
1: like, so I, I Dr.
0: Ned I, I've known Dr. Ned for quite a while we're rather good friends unfortunately I hold him in very high esteem but I would need I still need some help with the last name. Can you help me with pronouncing your last name? Can we walk through me pronouncing your last name?
1: You want it? now there's two variations. One's okay. the Americanized variation. Let's their hear version, both. I'd love and to hear the both. Indian version. Yes. Well the Indian version is Lakshmi Bhatti. Lakshmi is the goddess of wealth and Bhatti is the husband of the goddess of wealth. Wow. That's but awesome. Here it's like in the US, always growing up, it's like Lakshrampathy. Lakshmi. Lakshmi Pathypathy. Okay. Yeah. So Dr. Lakshmi And and you know, it, it sounded really bad growing up in, in, in Boston where there's a little bit of a Boston accent to Lakshmi and I've lost the Boston accent for the most part, so it's lakshmopathy. Yeah. And uh it's funny when, when I'm around Indian people who are from India mm-hmm. uh, I mean like who grew up there. Not yeah. grew up here but um when I, I try and say Lakshmi Pathi mm-hmm. to not to not to embarrass myself or not to make them make them feel like hey look I'm better than you because I I grew up here and you didn't type of thing and I'm going to pronounce it laxmopathy and you got to deal with it so I try to be respectful I think yeah depending on who I'm talking to that's pretty awesome but assholes like you I just say lachmopathy yeah right on that's the way you should do it (laughs) so you grew up here grew up in Boston in Boston right yep and so you went to school
0: there did
1: your I went to I graduated high school there Uh, my parents my my parents moved to—my to, to my, my father moved here first, um, to Somerville, Massachusetts, okay. about 20 minutes outside of Boston, and uh, he was going to school and working at the same time, and then we came over a couple of years later, my mom and I. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother was about a year and a half old, and she left him behind with her parents because well, two reasons. Number one, they didn't know what the, what they were getting into. If they screw it up, let's just screw up one kid, not both kids. And the other reason, actually, probably bigger reason, is that they couldn't afford to bring two kids here. Mm-hmm. So my grandfather was nice enough to my grandfather, grandmother. They were nice enough to to raise my my younger brother, my second brother, uh, for a couple of years to, until my parents found their feet, you know, got in a better financial situation and more steady job, and then my brother came over. So, so, yeah, so I grew up there in the Northeast. That's
0: awesome. And so you went to school, you went to college there, New England Medical.
1: I, I went to, I, I did my um, residency initially at um, a hospital called, uh, Hospital of St. Raphael's, which is in New Haven. Yeah. And then I went back to Boston at New England Medical Center, which is yeah. which, which which is affiliated with Tufts University. It's right, down, down, right downtown Boston, right next to Chinatown. Um, and then I, I did my fellowship there as well. And. Moved out to Toledo right after my fellowship. Awesome, ninety-seven. Good. good. Did you always know you wanted to be a doctor? Was it like a calling, or was it just an expectation? No. it was or... not a calling. It was not expectation. It was sort of a combination of things. One more so that I hated math. I was really not just hated math. I was really bad at math. Mm-hmm. And my dad's like a nuclear engineer, so he was really good at math. So wow. I was. A, okay. I, was a, I know I could never ever. I mean, his guy went to MIT and this that the other thing. And yeah, I'm like I. Don't even can barely do my additions and subtractions and my gazintas. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so I, I, knowing that math was definitely not my strong suit, I sort of gravitated towards more of the sciences because to me it was it was it was easier um, than than dealing with formulas and things like that. It was very abstract to me. Mm-hmm. You know, with with medicine, it was more like I can I could touch it, I could feel, it, I could smell it type of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas these formulas are so they're up in the air. I can't see them. I really can't. I don't understand math at all. So because of my fear of math and knowing that I was really bad at it, I sort of embraced the other sciences. And I, I um, one of our family friends, Dr. Coca, who was a, an amazing guy, he took me into his workplace one day. I was in 10th grade, and he's an anesthesiologist, really well-known in the anesthesia circles. Um Huge music fan. He loved Jimi Hendrix and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And well, he took me into work one day. Uh, I, I just shot him around, and I fell in love with the operating room setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just looked more into into the different sciences, and um, I said, "Like this is something I can do. You know, like, I can kind of be okay at this, I guess." Yeah, and I can understand this a lot easier than 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 problems and you know formulas and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's why that's how I, I sort of uh, became. Um, a doctor that's awesome, yeah. but Thank I kind of knew that I'd never want to practice as a doctor long term, yeah, you know I know I, I liked it. it was sort of a gateway to something else, so and that
0: gateway kind of led you to p m g right is that kind of or am i am I
1: skipping too far ahead when i when I go there well i um, I think you're skipping a little too far i i I had a couple of even when I was young, I had a couple of goals. I, w- I always wanted to work for myself because I saw my dad, as smart as he, probably the smartest person I know, mm-hmm. um, and he used to bust his ass going to work every yeah. day. Smart guy. Engineer. I mean, this guy uh, helped design nuclear reactors and things like that. Yeah. You know, he's a smart guy. Really smart guy. Yeah, really smart guy. Um, and he used to go to work every day work for this big corporation in, in downtown Boston and would come home most days- not just tired but frustrated you know dealing with people who are main, who may not be subject matter expert as he is mm-hmm. um and also because he's an immigrant and because language was such a big problem he was not a good communicator mm-hmm. and so i think for those reasons a lot of frustration occurred and i and I, I and i used to think watch this guy come home day after day thinking man i i never want to be like him yeah you know, I, I have to be able to control my own destiny. I can't. I can't rely on somebody else to feed me. I got to be able to feed myself. Mm-hmm. So I never really had to work for anybody. I always want. My goal was to eventually work for myself at mm-hmm. some point, in some yeah. capacity. Yeah, sure, makes sense. Yeah. So I, I think um, keeping that in the back of my mind, well, actually keeping that in the forefront, no matter what I did, knowing that was a goal of mine, I had to find a way. You know, find a profession, find a, a methodology. Where I can work for myself and still support a family, or be able to be able to support a family. I yeah. didn't have I didn't have a family back then,
0: but right, yeah. So that evolved into
1: that evolved into um, when I was doing anesthesia um, in Boston. They did a lot. We did a lot of liver transplants over there. Um, a lot of you know high risk operations, mm-hmm. and one of the things that we we did was we did operations in the chest where you require a breathing tube that has what's called, it's called a double lumen tube um, basically one tube, it's one tube but one branch goes into one lung and another branch goes into another lung essentially, but now you can collapse each lung separately or you can make each lung breathe separately Okay. Um, to make operations easier well at some point after the operation you've got to change that double, it's called a double lumen tube, to a single lumen tube it's basically a blind procedure so there's got to be a way, better way to do this so I, I developed what's called a detachable bronchoscope. It's basically this, uh, this, it's a scope with an eyepiece. It's usually, it's usually one piece. And what, what they usually do is they put this down to people's lungs to check out, you know, how the lungs are doing. You know, right? Yeah. Well, if you had to change a scope, I thought it would be great if, if we could just detach the eyepiece from the fiber optics. So now you, what you do is you have a tube in place. You slip one tube, you slip the fiber optics through one tube detach it, slip out the tube, reattach the, the eyepiece and make sure it's still in the lungs, take the eyepiece off, put the new tube in, reattach it, make sure it's still in the right place, and then take the the fiber optics out. Now you have a secure location of, of this tube without any guesswork, where before it was completely blind. So I, that was the first product I sort of developed that had any kind of meaning to it. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I developed this product and that was my, something you created. It was an idea i didn't I didn't build anything okay, but my idea was that we should i need something that's that's more definitive this that can that can make it safer for the patient and make it less stressful for the for the for the physician to make sure that there's no guesswork involved in changing this tube that this tube's gonna be in the right place so um i I had the design and I've had to find an engineer to, to build it for me. I kind of knew what I wanted, and looking into it, you know, was one of the things that I didn't know, but I knew like a regular one-piece bronchoscope, they call it, you know, it's not detachable. Well, the tip can articulate, it moves, you can tip it up, tip it down, You direct which lung you want to go into. Well it's a very complicated articulating system it, it's a series of vertebrae attached to pulleys and so you can control it with a little with your thumb you mm-hmm. know moving the pulleys one way or another way stressing it one way direction or another direction I said well that's really expensive what's a better way to do this what's another way to do this I don't need to have the preciseness of moving the tube tip but it needs to be able to move a little bit to help, yeah. to help direct it you know so I decided to use air so let's put air channels on different parts of this of this fiber optic tube and the detachable eyepiece and now we can use air you can direct the direction of the air if you want to have the tube the fiber optics tilt one way or tilt the other way so it's much cheaper and all you need is an air source and you don't have to worry about fracturing vertebras and cables and, and you know it's a very expensive piece of machinery well this is very cheap to make so that's sort of I had the idea but I don't know how to build it and right it's a matter of finding somebody that can build it for you. But it was things like that that interested me, like what do I – what can I find that can make someone's job easier? So,
0: so this is – would you say like that it, this was the first instance of you like seeing a problem and saying, hey, I need to come up with a solution to that? Yes. And that's a lifelong thing for you. Like now at, at – you're not – like we talk once in a while and this is something that – like this has never left you. This never left me. So this is this is kind of like your life on some level is see a problem. I'm going to go to work on it. And then mentally, you might not necessarily, you don't put together the pieces. Like you're not out in the garage building this no, thing. No, no. But you are, like you're exp- explaining to someone how this, how we can take this problem and fix this problem. Right. Conceptually. Right. And you've done that.
1: Kind of over and over it seems in well, your uh, in your life. I, right? I don't know. I've I have had many attempts. <laughs> well, <laughs> probably not many successes, but definitely a lot of swing. It you know, took a lot of swings and you know a lot of misses. So every once in a while, you connect and and you know you have something that's useful. I, I mean, and, and and so it's it's a lot of hit or miss. You know, it's not necessarily developing a device, but maybe a system. Um, uh, 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 you know how to process. Uh, system, I guess, I guess, uh, operational flow or system flow or information flow is, is what I try and figure out on a simplistic level. That's what I I like to do. Mm-hmm.
0: So you say, mm-hmm. you know, every once in a while you hit one, but you've had plenty of misses. Are there any misses that like stand out, or are there any hits that stand out, or misses that stand out as boy, I really whiffed on that one, you know, or. Is there any that boy we we really connected the dots on that, and that that changed the course of my life
1: well, most of the misses have been in real estate um you know I, I don't know anything about real estate, but I've lost a lot of money in real estate you know ultimately blaming myself because I, you know i i, I uh, sometimes I, I I take advice um wholeheartedly and and leave it up leave it leave it at that mm-hmm. so um, when they had the huge uh, housing boom before, what was it, 2009, you know, sure. You know, people were buying up real estate here and there. I'm not a real estate guy, and so I went into a couple of different real estate deals, really not knowing what to do, what to expect, what, I knew, knew nothing about it, really didn't have anybody to, I didn't have anybody to talk to where I could ask advice. Um, you know, I, I didn't have a, uh, an accountant or a lawyer that I could, that I was working with uh, at, at a, you know. In a close way, mm-hmm. um, I really didn't have a mentor to help guide me, um, and I didn't know what kind of questions to ask. I didn't know, you know, so I, I had I knew nothing about industry. I just I had I had some money to burn, and, and it sounded like a good idea, and then I, then I just it you know lost lots of money in mm-hmm. and projects like that. As far as product development is concerned, um, not. I I can't say I took a lot of swings at product development, um, but I think that the um, I think that some of the um, opportunities that I could have had would have been in India, where um, my mom's side of the family was extremely wealthy, and they're in the, they're personally in the liquor business. So over there, I would have had a lot of opportunities to to expand their liquor business. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think that that may have I, – I probably let that – that was probably the biggest whiff. I think I, I really could have made a big impact. I'm talking about just pure how to make money type of yeah. thing over there. Sure. Um, I don't know how rewarding it would have been, but I, I think that um, – that was probably a, a huge miss for me. My opportunities in India when I was young, and I'm talking when I was about 20 years old, 21 mm-hmm. years old. Yeah. So um, I recognized an opportunity, but I, I failed to act on that. I think, I don't know if it would have made my life a whole lot of, I mean, I don't think it would affect me where I am right now. Mm-hmm. But I think it would have helped with um, some of my relationships I, I would have had in India. For example, if I had gone into the quote family business, I think sure. I would have been a lot closer to some of some of my, you know, second or third uncles type of thing, you know, who were in the business. Mm-hmm. So I think I probably missed out on that opportunity. Um, uh, I think that would have been something I would have probably enjoyed. Yeah. But financially, I, I would have, I think I missed out on a lot, um, not being actively involved over there.
0: Mm-hmm. So when you started, that your kind of your primary business is the is the PMG right? Right. So,
1: and how old were you when you got st- started to dabble into that? Tell us a little bit about that development. So after my, the reason I, I, like I wanted to be, I, when when I was doing internal medicine, I wanted to be a cardiologist. Mm-hmm. And then I, one of my rotations, I rotated through anesthesia as an elective. And I loved it. And I said, all right, I'm not going to, I want to be an anesthesiologist. So I, I, I dropped out of internal medicine and found a, a, a spot in anesthesia up, up in Tufts. And I loved it you know, I loved I wanted to do transplant anesthesia we did a lot of transplant operations over there and it's an anesthetic challenge it's a it's a surgical t- challenge um, and I, I just it was a high intensity type of operation and I loved it but part of anesthesia you rotate through pain management so it reminded me of internal medicine because I get to talk to people I get to manage patients but I still get to do procedures which I like doing mm-hmm. so uh, sort of seeing it from an academic perspective, we we had two great chairmans of the department for pain management, and um, the, um, when I came out when I came out, uh, finished my fellowship and came into private practice, the, the really the, the the nuts and bolts of how to practice were not really taught are not really taught in residency at all in terms of. Hey, these are opportunities. These are things that are out there. Uh, in terms of, you can be an employed physician. You can be a fee for service. Be your, own, yeah. your your own, your own, hang your own shingle type of thing. And then what are the pitfalls of each one? So nobody taught you this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I came on, came out, and started working in a hospital as an employed doctor. And they wanted me to build this pain program. And I'm like, yeah, I can build this. And I went with, I went back to administration and went back to my my partners, I presented to my partners first in terms of what it would take to build a pain program in this hospital. And they're like, well, we didn't know I was going to, you know, I went as far as this is the kind of staff we need. We need this kind of square footage. We need this kind of equipment. And, you know, um, we need to have a presence on the west side of Toledo and this is a location I've identified. And this would it cost to you know, start that office up over there. And they didn't want to make that investment in me. And I'm like thinking, you know, I just moved out here. It's less than a month and you want me to build a pain practice. You're not, you're not playing with me now, like, what's going mm-hmm. on here? I made the same presentation to the administration, and their first question was, will the partner support you? I said, no, they don't support me. Uh, and they said, well, if they're not supporting you, why would we support you? Like, I dragged me and my family out here from Boston, and within six weeks' time, you tell me I can't do it, I was brought here to do, mm-hmm. you know, why am I here? So I quit. And um, my wife at the time, you know, she had this great job in Boston um, and I dragged her out to Toledo and, you know, that kind of pissed her off. She goes, you drag me out to Toledo for your dream job and you're quitting in three months? Yeah. Uh, I'm like, it's dramatic. Well, yeah. And I said, well, you're right. I said, if they're not going to play with me now, why would they play with me six months from now? You know, we should cut and run. You know, we can go anywhere. We don't own any property. We got a car. Everything's paid for. We got this six month old kid you know we can go anywhere we right. a dog um, where do you want to go and um, this job in Finley sort of fell in my lap and he wanted me to develop this program in Finley. and I'm, I'm like hey honey you know we're already here what do we let's just try it for a year if we don't like it we can leave after a year yeah so we're I, I joined this physician to help develop the practice and he was awesome great mentor great physician and um, we we're supposed to be partners after a year, and the things didn't work out well in terms of from from a business perspective. So I ended up buying him out <clears throat> and um, developing the practice myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was it was nice to hang my own shingle, you know, in, in a year's time after graduating, which is sort of what what I wanted to do. I had a great mentor to help me help me in terms of a little bit on the business side of things, in, in terms of medicine as well as the clinical side of things in, in medicine, so he taught me you know some tricks of the trade and mm-hmm. things like that. He was just a great all round mentor. Um, and so early on in my career, I, I started and you know I, I invested in a couple of surgical centers, one in Finley and one in Sandusky, uh, to run my to, to my procedures in. And quickly found out for a couple of reasons things weren't working out. Um, mainly, you know, you have say thirty odd. Surgeons or doctors are working there in the surgical center. They all have their needs, and nobody's really focused on what my needs are. And that's you know, the patient. You know, I wanted my patients to be handled a certain way. Sure. Not that they couldn't be. Not that not that they were handled badly, but in terms of efficiencies and things like that. You know, um, how we engage how we engage a patient and 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 whatnot. So. Uh, for those reasons, I, I I went back to the hospital and I said, No, this is not working out. This is what I'm proposing in terms of working together with the hospital here, and, and I'll give up my shares at the surgical center. Um, and they sort of hemmed it hard a little bit, and I finally just said, you know, I'm, I, I should just probably just sell my shares. I'm unhappy here. I'll just bring everything back to the hospital. We a little bit more control. And then this concept of joint venturing came up, um, where we're now tied at the hip with the hospital mm-hmm. in terms of. Providing the service line, that's hospital based, and now we're able to. I'm able to control um, uh, workflow patterns in terms of when we get it. When we because it's a volume based business, you know, it's not like these other practices where you have where where you know you can charge a couple of thousand dollars for a procedure. Here, you know, our margins are much smaller. Sure. So it's, it's a volume-based business. So how do, you, how do you maintain patient safety without sacrificing patient safety, without sacrificing quality care? How do you, how do you, how do you manage patients through a process? You know? So it took time to sort of figure out from the time of a phone call for referral to the time a patient's discharge of a facility, what's that process look like? How can we make that as efficient as possible without sacrificing safety and quality? Mm-hmm. And so it took a while to sort of um, uh, get it to a point where I was really happy with it. Where now I'm happy with the process workflow, and um, uh, now I, I figured, well, if it's working here, well, it should be able to work, you know, in other areas, other other centers, other locations. So the concept of PMG started there in terms of how to en- how to engage a patient, how to treat a patient, how to quote process. That commodity through the system, because mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, a patient is a commodity, but it's a it's a very uh, valuable commodity, and you can't sacrifice the safety of that commodity or the way in which you treat that that commodity. Right. You know. So um, uh, we we had to make sure that that we could provide the highest quality care um, you know, that we could, and in trying to develop a program and having an informal way of checking my outcomes are my patients getting better if I do this procedure am I actually helping this patient mm-hmm. if I order this medication is it actually helping this patient you know so uh, tracking these outcomes I started doing that very informally and then after we formalized PMG um, you know we were able to build software in-house where we do track our outcomes in a formal way mm-hmm. so out of all of our centers we have about 50 different locations or 50 different partners or so across seven different states. and we're able to track our outcomes. We know how our patients are doing. you know if we do a certain procedure, are they getting better? If we order certain medications, are they help, is it being helpful? Are there any medication errors? Are we doing wrong side procedures? We track all that kind of stuff, you know and um, we do that because we want to keep improving right And unless we know what a deficiency there, we can't improve. You know, um, so if we have a provider who's sort of practicing outside of a practice paradigm, you know, we'd have to have a discussion, saying, "Hey, explain yourself. Why are you outside the box here? Right? You know, why aren't you playing within our box?" You know, uh, so we have to. You know, it's our brand. We can't have people um, being cowboys and doing whatever they want in mm-hmm. terms of uh, you know, for for patient care. Number one, uh, let's keep the patient safe. And so we know that we're competitive because we are tracking outcomes. We know who is, you know, who are not doing well by. Uh, So we want to minimize that as much as possible. And you know, with this whole opioid epidemic, especially in in in, um, southern Ohio, uh, we've been we have over 150,000 patient contacts a year, and we have zero accidental deaths from opioids. So it's, uh, we have a, we it's amazing. Have, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, we deal with high-risk patients in a high-risk field, and so we, we've gotten really good at trying to manage patients' opioid usage. We're, we're, our goal is to reduce or eliminate their usage altogether by trying to contr- you know, control their pain um, with minimal pharma, pharma, uh, pharmaceuticals. You know, we don't want to use multiple drugs. So we try and find out where the patient's pain generators are, uh, and then try to limit that as best possible, control it as best possible, minimizing the amount of medication they require. Mm-hmm. So all these things we track. And again, the, I don't know how to build software, but I know what we need to track um, to keep patients safe. Mm-hmm. And I just had one small concept in terms of, you know, are my patients getting better, getting better with procedures? Are the medications helping them? Well, now that we have this great team at PMG who are a lot smarter than I am, we're tracking other metrics as well, you know, um, other factors that will help improve patient care and our quality of care. So I didn't—that's nothing that I developed. I mean, I, you know, I—it's—it's—it's it's, it's where the team comes into play, you know, and helps out a lot because I don't know most things. So you saw the first problem, you know,
0: bumping into it with the hospital and, but kind of a. You know, i don't know not thing you seeing what you think is the the solution but not having the supporting and said hey we could maybe this can be done a little different way and that that you opened that door and then you got the team to kind of rally around and fill in yeah. the spots where you're maybe not quite as
1: strong as that well i, I think I, I, the the concept was the following in the sense that um Having a team that's focused on treating patients with like conditions. so if I took if I took a team that that also took helped take care of cancer patients that also helped take care of cardiology patients and also helped take care of pain management patients, you know they may be able to do it, but can they can they execute consistently at that high level? Mm-hmm. I think you have the team you have to have a team that's focused on just, Pain, at least in pain management I can't yeah. really speak for cardiology or for for um, uh, uh, cancer things like that but just in pain management you have to have a team that's focused on 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 treating that those type of patients you know knowing about the procedures knowing about the medications if the patient calls with a certain complaint after a procedure or a certain complaint after changing medications it, you know being in, in touch with the patients knowing them you know from a phone call oh uh John Doe called today and, oh, I know John Doe. Yeah, no, 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 How's he doing? You know, They're familiar with the patient. And also, they can anticipate what the needs are of the physician. So as they work together as much as a team, in the end, the patient being receiving the best care that they, they possibly can. So if you have a, a, a great doctor or, or a great nurse who interacts with the patient probably a lot more than the doctor does... But if the nurse also is in working in different departments, they may not be in tune with that. You know, just the pain patient. So, we had to develop a program where let's get our a designated team for that. That Was step number one. You know, educating them, this, that, the other thing. But that's the clinical part. You know. But now we have how do we expand this? You know, if we are going to expand this to other markets, you know, how do we formalize this? And that I don't. I that I don't know. I mean, in terms of. From a clinical perspective, I know what what needs to be done. I know how our patients should do, but what are the other things that make it even better? Mm-hmm. And that's what the what that's what the team really you know took it to the next level, you know more so than I could ever do. Right. And, you know, it's nothing I could have done alone.
0: And you guys are really now the number one in the United States, right? Or one
1: of the top geographically. We're the largest provider for interventional pain services in the United States. It's pretty we have, awesome. We have. A, we, we have approximately fifty different partnerships and probably sixty different locations. Um, um, so we, we cover we cover a, a large territory, uh, and our our sweet our most of our our hospital affiliations or partnerships are in rural areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know our sweet spot is really a, a community of about fifty thousand people. Is our sweet spot. Um, and most of our our uh, relationships with hospitals are probably somewhere between 25 and 50,000, I'd say. Okay. So smaller small rural communities, smaller but, rural communities.
0: But whether you're working with each individual client that even though they're all, everybody's unique, right? But they are, they all have a very similar, you know, very similar, the names change, and the faces change, but it's it's basically they're taking care of the same person over and over again, right? Y- yes.
1: Yeah. I mean most of what we see are patients are spine pain patients, either who have who are who are quote pre surgical, meaning that they either not bad enough for surgery or they don't want to have surgery, or they can't have surgery because they have bad lungs and bad hearts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Or the patients who've had surgery and are sometimes no better or sometimes worse off because of scar tissue. Uh, and so not that most people don't get better with surgery but we we in our business we see the patients who don't get better there' sure. a vast majority who do get better but the ones who don't what do you do with them mm-hmm. that's what we can help them with it as okay. well so so we we see the two main population of spine patients before and or after surgery okay so yeah it's 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 a lot of the same stuff so you've done that with the on the down to the client level and
0: now you're also doing that on the hospital level because it sounds like you, you have a very typical client almost a niche client for the hospitals like you know this this typically is the size hospital this works really well for is there a magic to that they they're not big enough to have the resources to do it their, their own way or you know, you guys fit in there as a great partnership because of their size. It's unique. What's, what's,
1: what, what I think makes us unique is that we like to be responsible for these patients who have these pain problems. Mm-hmm. So these pain patients typically, typically, either they're sometimes taken care of by a neurosurgeon, orthopedic surgeon, a neurologist, sometimes a psychiatrist, um, uh, sometimes chiropractor. Um, you know, they, people, different people are addressing that. Those are the different people who may be addressing a patient's pain problem. Physical therapists. So the, what's the point of entry? Who's managing this pain patient? You know, this patient who has a pain problem, mm-hmm. whether it's a shoulder problem, either before or after shoulder surgery, a spine problem, either before or after spine surgery. Uh, who's managing these people long term? You know, the, the pain is the number one reason why patients go to the emergency room. So what we like to do is if we get a pain patient, if we get a patient who has pain, say it's a spine problem, my job is to keep that patient out of the emergency room. You know, you don't, you don't want these people who have flare-up of their pain problem running to the emergency room because they have a flare-up, and now they get treated in the emergency room, and they you know, essentially act as a primary care doctor in the emergency room for their flare-up of the pain problem. Sure. Well, we want to eliminate that cost for the hospital. Mm-hmm. We want to improve the patient's pain control so we can improve the quality of life and their level of functioning how they're functioning better. Let's keep them out of the emergency room. Let's have them stop using resources. And you know, I'm, I'm going to five, six doctors for my pain problem. And then you compound that by the use of, of opioid agents. You know, Now they're getting pain pills from a couple of different people. Mm-hmm. They may be going to the emergency room to get pain pills because right. they're having a flare-up. Well, we, have a, we tell the patients, listen, we're gonna take care of all your pain needs, whether you, you we know, you have a flare-up of an existing problem or development of a new problem, we we can we can assess that, we can keep you out of the emergency room. We're going to minimize or monitor your opioid uses a lot more closely, so you're not getting opioids from multiple doctors. You're not going to the emergency room with the flare-up and they're giving you more opioids. We're not we, we we want to eliminate that. Yeah. So improving patient safety, improving quality the quality of the patient's life, uh, and the level of functioning is what, what we're trying to accomplish by reducing costs because it chews up a lot of costs in healthcare. To, to treat a patient in pain, you know, keeping them out of the emergency room, keeping them functional, so they don't lose time at work and things like that. So we we like to feel like we're a value added um, uh, process in a community, not just for a hospital. Mm-hmm.
0: That's awesome. So that's a, I mean, and this is kind of your, like, this is your your primary function. Is a we'll call it a day job. Is that? Um, my is day that job. Safe to say? My
1: day job is keep it, keeping out of their way. Yeah. <laughs> if is if, that a full time day job? If, if, or Is that part time or how does if, that if, work? If 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 our, our CEO John Bookmar, if he tells me no, get out of my way, Ned, you know, I got work to do. I I out of the way, They yeah. they basically tell me what to do, and I just do it. Right. You know, my job is being a clinician. If they need me someplace or help out someplace on a clinical aspect from a clinical level, I'll be involved. But from a business perspective, I mean, I, I can't run the dishwasher. These guys. Yeah. These guys are. Are, are great you know they, yeah. they they know what they know how to run a business I, that's awesome i don't know how to run a business
0: so so let's jump if we can to the net like what would you say was the next problem that you saw that you decided to kind of start to build a try to build a solution for i mean i know that there's as being a, a pretty good friend i know there's a few things that you're you're, you're kind of always on to the next creation. Like what what are maybe share one or two well, of the I, new creations or things on your radar
1: or something I, I, like that? I think that – I think – well, number one, we have to continue to make sure we do a good job. Mm-hmm. So this the software we, we created now is called iStats. We, we track a diff, bunch of data. So I, 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 that sort of – although it started – From a concept that I had from the beginning, before we even had ISTATS, where on paper I was tracking how my patients were doing. Hey, how are you doing? Am I helping you? Was it worthwhile going through? To what we now have now at ISTATS, that process, although it started because of a clinical need, we now think that well, we it was developed. It's been added to, improved by. Where uh, I T people, people who are in- involved with uh, quality uh, measures, um, you know, they're the ones who've taken ISTAT that to a different level, where we can now formalize um, by tracking actual data on how well we're doing. So we have to. The first step is let's continue to make sure we're doing a good job, and let's improve on areas where we can improve. Now, what what do we do with that information? How can we how can we expand that? How can we um, make it meaningful well let's we're trying to my job now I've, I've been telling my my CEO our CEO our leader that what I'd like to do is take on iStats and bring it from where it is now to maybe a different level or different application um, let me give you an example so a lot of a lot of the data we input are, is manual I'm trying to figure out how do we Uniformly digitizes, this, automate this where we're we're not chewing a lot of a lot of man hours in procuring data, entering data. Not we don't want just be data entry. Like how can we do it in a more efficient manner? But taking that process now, and let's apply it to other specialties. How we how are the cardiologists doing? How are the other you know various surgeons doing in there with their patient pool? You know what are their outcomes like? Are they providing meaningful meaningful service? To the community, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, if we had a if we had a physician who was doing all kinds of procedures and they weren't, patients were getting better, we're gonna have a discussion. You know, why are your patients not doing well? Is it patient selection, or you know, what is going on here? Let's identify the issue. So, in a similar way, if somebody who is having you know a different specialty, whether it's an eye doctor, or obstetrician, you know, it doesn't matter, general surgeon, who is tracking their outcomes? Mm-hmm. I don't know for sure, but I gotta believe we have to be the only private practice, um, medical practice in the country that tracks this much data uh, to monitor our performance.
0: To and self-monitor.
1: Self-monitor. Yeah, that's Who's, a big deal. It's a huge deal. I mean, we have to accept our deficiencies and improve, address those deficiencies. Yeah. If wow. you're not asking the question, if you're not, if you're not asking the question, how are you going to solve the problem? Right. So I think we have to be more transparent, I guess, is one way of putting this. Mm-hmm. Not just our specialty, but every specialty. Why, why is it just us? Why can't other specialties be held accountable Right. for their performance? I'm not talking about pay, pay for performance. I'm talking about, hey, as a if, if, if I'm one of 20 orthopedic surgeons who does knee replacements, and I got one guy who's just got all these complications— I don't want to be associated with that person. I don't want him seeing any of my patients. Why is that physician seeing any patients to begin with? I mean, if there's an issue it needs to be addressed, is my point. Right. Yeah. So early detection and, and addressing that issue, whatever it may be, in a manner that's consistent with hospital policy uh, and procedures, needs to be done. So in, in, increased awareness is, is what we need to bring to the table.
0: Yeah, he might not even know he's the worst one. He may not know like like, this this is fucking great (laughs) his partner uh, yeah i mean he might have a partner that's a rock star and doing fantastic and he doesn't even know like because they might not even you know they might pass in the halls they don't even know who who the weakest link is or maybe they do
1: yeah but it still doesn't matter right right and we hope that we can weed out bring to bring to people's attention that that there are issues that need to be addressed and you know Weeding out those bad apples. You know, the ones who want to improve, let's get an action plan going. The ones that don't give a shit, let's cut cut and run. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't want that that doctor working in this hospital or, you know, if I'm a, if I'm an insurance carrier, do I want to, you know, have that doctor work on my patients? You know, where if the complications develop, I got I to gotta pay for this patient's complications, you know, as an insurance right. carrier. For how long? So I, I think that, that there are many people who would want to maintain a certain level of quality and we have to be able to... Um, create a process where we can self-monitor and and address and, and make people accountable, uh, give people uh, the tools to to identify issues, and they need to be addressed in a manner they feel that is that it's acceptable. Yeah. So
0: you've built a process inside of your 50 companies or 50 relationships, and now you think that's transferable Well, we're, we're, to other people, not just in the same specific niche, but also outside to, you know, a much grander population of, of potential health issues.
1: Yes. So, and, and again, I didn't build it, the team built it, yeah. but, but I, I think that we can, as they built a great product, I think let's, let's apply it in a different manner. Let's start, let's see how well, if we can improve on what we have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that that would be an important step in terms of, um, building something meaningful that is patient centric.
0: Yeah. Awesome. That's pretty neat. We'll see. That's a big deal.
1: You know, I, I think that, that what we what I'd love to work on at some point is a way we can reduce the economic burden on patients so they have better access to health care. You know, I, I just I, right right now, you know, seeing patients who most of the patients I see are spine related Issues, but I, along with that, patients I see tons of patients who have knee problems or hip problems who need a hip replacement or knee replacement. Then I can't tell you many times I see a patient who says, Yeah, doc, I can't get my hip replaced this year. I'm saving enough money so I can pay for the hip next year. I'll have enough of the deductible. I mean, look at this guy. He, he's whatever. Was, say he's a 65 year old person who's got a bad hip and needs to have it replaced, but now goes a whole year with a bad hip. And, you know, problems travel north. So if you get a bad hip, you're gonna be walking funny, and mechanics change. Now they got a lower back problem. Now I got to address that issue, right? You know, or they have so much pain from the hip, they they maybe fall and hurt something else, yeah. And they got a shoulder problem. So my point is, this individual is not getting the hip replaced because they can't afford to, and who knows, delay of treatment what that causes down the road, right? Well, we need to get away, get, get, figure figure out how that individual. Can get that hip replaced earlier, rather than having to suffer with that and develop secondary, tertiary problems. Right. You know. Yeah. So that's hopefully what we can we can address. Uh, you know, there's got to be a way, a system where we can make a meaningful impact in reducing that that financial burden on patients, so they can receive the care they need, um, and and not have to put things off. You know. It, the hip replacement, just one example. What about sure. all the other stuff that goes all on? All kinds of things. All kinds of things. It's a
0: very broken system, right?
1: It's a very broken system. I think the talent is there. I think the U.S. has the best doctors and healthcare providers, mm-hmm. and but I think the system is definitely broken. You know, we we got to figure out a way how to how to make it more accessible. You know,
0: I think reworking that process somehow, right? Like, I mean, it's. It's not for lack of, like when, when somebody comes into being a doctor, like they're very passionate, they're very excited, and they want to change the world.
1: I want to change the world, you know? yep. And then
0: suddenly they're in this system where they just feel like they're, you know, they're in the current, and the current's going so fast, and they're just trying to keep up with the current. Yeah. It seems like it's when I talk to my friends that are docs, it just seems like the current's moving so fast, it's all they can do to keep their head above it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of um, a, a, a lot of things that um, a lot of doctors are not prepared for in in terms of what's coming around the corner in medicine, whether it's the science end of it, whether it's the business end of it, the administrative end of it, regulatory end of it. You know, there's a lot of things that are involved in taking care of patients or practicing as a as a clinician. Um, you know, and uh, it, it can be overwhelming. Sure. No. Well they don't like you said, they don't teach you that in med school. They don't teach you nearly enough or at least inform you of what's out there. And hey look, these are the things that you'll that you'll have issues with in the future. And here are some here are some um uh uh I guess, you know, these references, these um support groups or support structures that are available for you for help. Right. You know. Um, this organization, that organization, whatever it may, whatever it may be. But well, oh, we we may have clinical skills, and, they, and but the other facets of of um, healthcare are not really um, there. I mean, uh, most physicians are being employed, and they don't want to deal with all the administrative stuff and deal with all the the issues with how to run a business. They just want to work as a doctor and, and go home. Mm -hmm. and be employed and I think that's that's gonna that trend's gonna continue because most doctors won't be able to afford can't can't afford to run their own practices because a lot of them are not trained on how to run a practice they're great doctors but maybe not great business people
0: sure yeah so let's jump away from the medical stuff for a minute and um, I'm thinking of like another situation where I feel like you saw a problem and you said hey I think I'm I don't, I don't, I'm still not sure that I can keep up with your brain. Like I think it moves a lot faster in a a different way than mine does. And so I'm trying to get towards your like links and and, and what you saw there and kind of what you're working towards the problem you're trying to solve and how that, because I find it interesting that it just seems like it's recreating whether you see it or not inside of from the outside it looks like you're just you're seeing a problem and you're like oh we're going to get to work on this problem so like here we can, we can find a way to you know I come up with the conceptual idea of how to fix it and then I find the people that have the capacity to put things together to help me do that
1: Lynx was um, uh, uh, again an unexpected project um, uh, one of my neighbors and good friends um is in the trucking business, uh, in as a carrier as well as a broker. And he was over the over our house um some time back and he was just bitching and moaning about the industry and mm-hmm. how fractionated it was and how oh, I can't get this done, that done, this is bullshit that's you know, he, he's all about uh oh, I everything mean, bullshit rah, 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 yeah. type, of, type of guy. Yeah, sure. But, you know, he's he um he's a self made guy. He you know started and runs and uh, continues to expand his his logistics operation in terms of being a carrier broker and some other stuff and I mean, just a just a salt type of guy really 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 super person but just like I would bitch him on about stuff in the in the medical field I and mean, he's bitching him on about stuff in his in his in his industry which I know nothing about but he was telling me what what was bothering him you know what some of the deficiencies are and I'm just sitting there listening and listening and and the next day, I I, I call him. I said, Tony, I, I think let me think about this. You I, you know, I had a great conversation with. You. Let me think about this. I think i may be able to help you, but give me a couple of days. And I thought about some of the things we can that can be done. You know, how should, how should information flow? You know, how I had no idea what how a broker what a what a broker is in, in the logistics business. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what what really a carrier meant. You know, what is it, What's the difference between a customer a customer and a shipper? The hell do I know? You know. <laughs> I can't spell customer, <laughs> you know. So anyway, um, what I what I what I said to him was I said I think I, I think I, I may have a way we can process some of this, address some of these issues. Let me talk to one of my partners and um, uh, was an who is an I, IT guy. And I talked to him about it, and, and we um, uh, I, I went and talked to Tony. I said Tony, I think we can we can do this. I said. I, I these are, the, these are the issues, you know, in terms of, uh, from a carrier's perspective, this is what you, what you would like, because he also owns a brokerage firm, so from a broker's perspective, this is what these issues are sure. for a brokerage firm. You know, what are customers afraid of? What are their concerns? You know, what are receivers, what are their concerns? And trying to figure out, well, how do, how do we optimize communication between a shipper, a possible broker, a carrier, and a receiver? And the driver, you know, how, how do we keep track of this? How do we keep track of that? Where's the driver? Where's the where's the shipment? Where you know where's where's my load going to be picked up from? Where's it dropped off from? You know, how do I how do I procure a load? How do I know um, you know uh, uh, when it's arriving? What the route is? All these all these different things. You know, how 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 far did it travel? What's the driver's time? You know, how do I know the driver's yeah. actually driving and not you know and and not didn't shut his device off and and logged fewer hours and drove longer miles. I mean, this, this unaccounted driver time issue. So there were many issues that came up, and and trying to f- figure out what is important, what is not important. You know, what's, you know, how to how to, how to triage these these issues. And so I, I think what links was you know bringing together somebody who was uh, an industry leader in the brokerage side and the carrier side, bring together the IT you know, behind this, the, the person who can write the code and bring in people who um, would act as consultants. You know, uh, w- what, do we, what do we need to do from a sales perspective? You know, what, what, how do you, as a salesperson, how do you see this product as it compares to other products? You know, you're in sales. You may be selling, you know, engines for race cars, mm-hmm. but, you know, you, you, you could sell anything. Yeah, how do, this is a product we'd like to sell, what other like products out there you know who do we, how would you sell ours over theirs our, what will be a selling feature so how to promote ourselves what to focus on from, from a different perspective so sure. getting these people together and putting a, putting a, a ideas on paper and figuring out a, a flow of, of how information you know where the information starts where the request starts from how the request is addressed and finally delivered and, and, and that whole process is very convoluted very complex and and it took time to sort of understand that. Um, and I, I, at this point, I still understand it in a, in a very superficial way. Um, and it's, it's a very complicated field. I never realized the intricacies of, of the logistics business, the politics of the logistics business, mm. um, which is a big thing. And, you know, so how do we appeal to – how do we have a product that appeals to a driver? How do we have a product that appeals to a carrier? A shipper, a customer, a broker. You know, how do how do we get all these people involved in wanting this product sure. in a meaningful way? Right. So, what re- something that's affordable reduces time. You know, so you're not spending all this time fielding phone calls. So, communication. How do you communicate without actually having to pick a phone up? How do I? How do how, how are alerts sent? How are requests sent? How are requests received? So that that process, you know, took some time, and we made a lot of mistakes, and we still continue to try and identify these these deficiencies and improve on them. Um, but we're very close to a, a product now. It's 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 been about a year, a solid year and a half in the making, mm-hmm. but we're very close, and and it could have been something. Even better, I think, in retrospect, but I think we get a solid product, which I think has a definite markets, ma- marketplace, and our our main marketplace is really catering to the small to mid sized mainly the small carriers, you know, people who have five trucks, tw- 10 trucks, that marketplace, because since mm-hmm. most of the trucking, most of the carriers out there, 80, I think the number is about 90% of the carriers are small carriers. Okay. Oh, that's so, yeah. So, so, so we, they need something that's transparent. That's something that's affordable, easy to use. You know, that they can hand off to their accountant. say, hey, these are my expenses. Blah blah blah. The simple stuff. Sure. You know, but at the same time, it's it's sophisticated enough where even larger carriers can use this. Mm-hmm. So it's scalable, but it was meant for the small carrier. Something that they can afford. Something that they can help run and improve their business day to day. So we have a mobile app. We have a web-based app that we developed for this. So if you're an owner operator, you don't have to be in front of a computer. You can do it on your smartphone. If you got a smartphone, you can. It actually has more features in the smartphone than it does in a web-based app. Wow. So, but again, it, it, it's it, it's just a it's just process flow. Yeah. You know, it's just similar to medic it, it, to medicine. The key to to key to anything is communication. You know, who's listening? How are you? How do you listen? and then how do you communicate to somebody else? Mhm. You know, so I think it's that's a very basic a very basic process It's very probably the most important step in anything. So whether you communicate verbally or in a digital format, you know, whether computers can com- communicate with other computers, mm-hmm. it's how are they communicating? Is it is is a request being understood and are able to execute in the back end? Yeah. So you've kind of taken the
0: same approach whether it was this medical device or the process on the medical side and streamlining that and then data and then it sounds like the in the link situation it's it's again data it's data like it's data it's it's taking all of the input from all the different sources what's important because obviously what's important to the broker what's important to the person being delivered to and what's important to the driver sort of three very different perspectives yes so you know what generally happens is maybe maybe one or maybe two of those are satisfied but the third one's pissed off about it you know the driver thinks that this is you know they're just making it a bigger hassle for my life so to make all those all those entities and more satisfied with a product that's your
1: that's a lot of effort yeah i mean I i think it's a simple question like that I, there's got to be something in your life, whether it's your personal life or your job, that you that you that you wish you said, God, if I just had this thing, my my life would be right. so much, my job would be so much easier. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess the analogy would be is, if I was in. I'm, I, I like tennis. I mean, I used to play a lot of tennis. Yeah, if I was in ten percent better shape. I'd probably be a thirty percent better tennis player. Yeah, <laughs> type of thing. Right. Yeah. So it's it's like what is that small thing that you need, you know, that that maybe uh, it, it makes up ten percent of your time, but adds thirty percent value. Yeah. Type of thing. You know. So you're just looking for that. Like I know you're kind of in the,
0: well, I guess you could call it venture capitalist space. Like you're always looking for new ideas and new things and you know fresh things to throw a little bit of energy at and, and it's exciting to solve a problem. and when you hit when you do hit one and you connect, it's a home run. I mean that that pays for a lot of sins and then it gives it's okay to, to miss a few times or for something to take
1: take a little bit more time to develop. right? I, I, I don't think you can you can't be afraid of failure. I mean this is, this is I, I don't say what I do is high risk. I never take a risk that I can afford to lose on so I don't I, I'm not a gambler but you know if I can if I can afford to bring a certain project to fruition and it and it's, and it happens great but if I fail I'm not really losing much it doesn't affect uh, my family it doesn't affect my other businesses mm-hmm. so it's a failure right and so I don't think people should be afraid of failure I'm not afraid of failing right and I, and I, I think that um uh making an informed decision you know calculating when to swing that bat you know identifying that pitch and trying to identify what kind of pitch it is and connecting with that bat you know to to maximize that it's sort of like is this a fastball or is this a is it a curveball is this i mean Identifying it sooner rather than later you know, mm-hmm. in, in tennis is a slice serve. Is it a topspin serve? Is it going to be an American twist serve? You know, trying to sort of anticipate based upon um, the, the the arc of the racket of the server. You know, w- which direction is the ball going to go, forehand or backhand? So I, I think trying to and trying to in, trying to be anticipatory uh, is going to be very important in making a decision whether you take that swing. But unless you swing that bat, you're not going to you're not going to connect uh so it has to be an informed decision on, on when to make that when to take that swing but i think a big mistake is if you don't try it all
0: so i i totally agree i mean gretzky you know you miss all the shots you don't take um but is there any are there any other kind of shots that you've got that are out there that we should know about i think we're kind of coming close to our time limit but is there a one or two other things that you're kind of like, hey, I'm thinking
1: about this or working on this or anything else we should know about? Well, I'm working on um, an exercise machine. Um, The product name is going to be called Vahana. And what I'm trying to target with this is to maximize the recruitment of as many major flexors and extensors and core muscles in your body simultaneously to maximize an, uh, uh, your your workout, you know, to to maximize the calorie burn per per, per even 15 minutes, mm. you know. So I'm I've been working on, on that device now. It's in concept. Uh, we have we have renderings, 3D renderings of, of that what the device sh- how the device should function. Of engaged the university to help help develop the device in the engineering department, so that's going to be an exciting project for me. That sounds fun. It is. It is that's a big deal. It's a well. It's it'll be fun to sort of engage with college students, and sort of get ideas from them on on, or or, or see what their thoughts are about the about the device, mm-hmm. um, and because there's certain things from an engineering perspective that I want the device to do, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of solution they have. To, to reach that goal. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also related to the health field developing. Uh, we're getting into the FinTech business on how to actually reduce healthcare costs for patients, which hopefully will be meaningful. That's a so big deal. Yeah, so we're, we're in the process of developing uh, an app to uh, improve accessibility of healthcare and reduce healthcare costs for, for, for app holders it would be a free app. Awesome. So, yeah, so uh, we're hoping to be, you know, impactful in the, in the community. Solving problems. It's, well, well, hopefully we'll solve some problems and hopefully it'll be um, uh, meaningful for people, for end users. Uh, and on the back end, we're hoping to make money off this, you know. But yeah. uh, but the pr- the process is fun. Yeah. That's what really gets me going. Is I love the process. Yeah. That Well, you know? that's the genius of it. I mean, the... The neat thing is that there's so many
0: people that think about the, they they think about it enough to complain about it, but they don't think about it enough to do something about it. Now, I mean, that happens. I'm guilty. You know, we we all have these things where we're like, oh, geez, uh, you know, if I if I just this, and then then they they might even say it out loud, but then that's it. That's the last. Like they, they, really aren't willing to do anything about it. They just say something about it, and then, then they just let it, let it go.
1: Well, I, I do that a lot too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. Well, we do no, a lot it, of. Good. but it's, but it is again. People, um, you know, they're like wondering why you do this, and it's really, it's, it's, um, it's like painting. You know, it's like reading a good book. You know, to me, I like this stuff. Yeah. You know, this isn't work this, right it's not work at all right this is just. Yeah. this is just I, I, it just it just drives me it's passion yeah you know figuring stuff out
0: yeah well and i think that the element that you sounds like you've hit a home run in a couple ways but you've got some close people to you that are the that are the right kind of teammates and when you have the right kind of teammates it makes everything
1: you much better oh my god i mean PMG, from, from my concept of PMG, before it was really PMG, it was, it was a good product. But with these teammates that I have, they've elevated it into a great product. I mean, great leadership. We have a great CEO. We have a great CFO. We've got a great COO. I mean, our, our leadership is just absolutely amazing. And, um, you know, it, it just trickles down. They, they um, have a great team helping them. You know, so individually this would be impossible. This would be impossible. You know, you have all these terrific minds working together as a team, solving problems. Um, it's just, it's, it's um, very humbling to know that you're no longer needed in this process. Yeah, you know, I'm totally I, dispensable. Yeah,
0: it's the best and worst thing.
1: Yeah, right? no, it, I mean, it's I, both. I, I, I'm the most useless person in this whole team. Yeah. Basically, you know, they, yeah. don't, you know. So it but it's it's great that, that they're able to do those that that kind of work. Yeah. You know, uh so it's it's very humbling. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty freaking fantastic. Yeah. It's awesome. People good are guy. people are awesome. Well, especially we'll, you. We'll be looking for <laughs> I I totally agree.
0: <laughs> we will be looking for some good updates. Great to spend some time with you always. Uh appreciate the time and and uh the energy and we will Kind of have to stay in touch on some of these things and keep everybody abreast of the new exercise, the logistics yeah. app, the taking over of healthcare and saving people, saving people money and saving their lives.
1: It, it, so you had me at abreast. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. Good, good. Thanks yeah. a lot. Thank you, Dan. Good
1: seeing you, doctor. Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. 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 Financial partners offers products services using the following business names: Creative Financial Partners Insurance and Financial Services, American Investment Company LLC, AIC, Member FINRA, SIPC, Security and Investments, American Advisory Services, AAS, Investment Advisory Services, AIC and AAS are affiliated with Creative Financial Partners. Products services are limited to residents of states where the representative is This is not an offer of securities in any jurisdiction nor is it specifically directed to residents of any jurisdiction. As with any security, request and perspective from a representative carefully before you invest or send money. Representatives will contact you to provide request information. Representatives at AIC and AAS do not provide legal or tax advice. Please consult a tax advisor or attorney regarding your situation. Whoo! Thanks for watching.